Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Miller and I'm here with Dr. Heather Hirsch, who is a mom, a doctor, a new podcaster, and also one of my best friends. And we are on location in San Diego in a hotel room. My baby's sleeping in a stroller in the corner. Just say hello. Hi. (laughs) It's so really great to be with you, even though I'm very tired. Heather is super tired. I'm exhausted. It's like... 8 30 p.m. for me and it's like a, in the middle of the night p.m. for me 11 30 yes <laughs> they just went from ohio so yeah heather and i have known each other forever yeah we lived in the same neighborhood yes we did well we met at cheerleading camp actually we did meet at cheerleading yes. camp yep cheerleading for life i remember you were so like limber and stretchy and you went to the other middle school I did. And I was like, JP. oh, yeah, I went to Martha Brown. So mm, JP was super ghetto. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but totally true. I did. My parents later moved to where the not ghetto middle school is. On the right side of the tracks. After I graduated from there. <laughs> so we are here today to talk about Heather's new podcast. Both of us actually have three-month-old babies. I know. Actually, we... That's yeah. sort of a fun story. It is a fun story. We found out we were pregnant around the same time, and, yeah. like, we were the only two. You know how, like, you you always tell your husband, and you're like, don't tell anyone, or you're, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. But then you tell, like, one other person, yeah. and you're we were each person. other. Yeah. So, how is it traveling without your son and um, daughter? You have you also have a well, daughter. Well, it's only been a couple hours. It's mostly been on the plane. And I knew mm-hmm. I was going to see you. That really helped. Yeah. Like, I, I called you, like, last night, and I was like, please come meet me in San Diego. <laughs> and I was like, I don't like driving more than... <laughs> but um, it's been okay so far, and I kind of feel like the best way to just do it is just keep yourself busy. Keep yourself kind of thinking about the things that inspire you to want to be a good human that makes you then a good mom. And so, also, I watched um, this movie called Book Club on the Plane, which was about... The I've like, seen it. You I have, have seen it. Yeah. Yes. I, you like have to love Jane Fonda. Like you talk about aging gracefully. Like she's gorgeous. Love her. She's yeah. And I watch her other show on Netflix, which is called Frankie Grace. Anyways, she's wonderful. So I watched that on the plane and like dumb comedy is always like, it's always helpful mm-hmm. because it's just like fluff and you need it in your life. Yeah. I can't it's watch really anything that's not uh, fluff. Mm. Especially, or if I have panic attacks. I know being yeah. a mom makes it stop watching Grey's Anatomy. It's really sad. I've never. I have actually. I actually well, never watched Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I have too much of that already. Like I don't need more. Well, of yeah. It. I imagine if you're a doctor, you probably don't like watching Doctor. I don't know. I have friends who do. I just didn't. I don't know. Anyways, let's talk about something important, <laughs> like how you became a doctor, right? So. Tell us about your journey. Obviously, you went to college because you can't become a doctor without doing that. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Um, when, remember when we were in, like, AP Bio together? Mm. Isn't mm. that when I kind of, like, started trickling with the idea of Maybe. being a doctor? All I remember is that you were always late, and I'm pretty yes. sure I didn't speak to you for, like, almost a year because mm-hmm. you made me late. Maybe in high school is when I kind of thought that I wanted to be a doctor. And then I went to college... 
And I remember I was sitting with, like, you have one of those, like, guidance counselors, but in college they're called something more professional. Career like, counselor? I don't know, yeah. And he was like, you know Advisor. What advisor. Advisor. He was like, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, well, I want to be a doctor, but, you know, I, I, I went to college at Syracuse. It's a really big undergrad. You went to a big undergrad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very overwhelming. Everyone around you is so smart. You're, like, inundated with all these new things. You're learning all this new stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I can do that. He was like, well, your first semester grades were really good. And I was like, oh, yeah, they were, they were good. And that's really kind of all it took. So you, you probably remember my grandfather was an OBGYN. And he was always like, a big influence on me as well. And I remember as a kid, like, playing in his basement. And this was when he had, like, an office in his basement. Yeah. Pause. Your grandfather was an OBGYN. His office was dusty in his basement. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> like his home office. Okay. I just had no, vision. No, no. no. Times were different back then. <laughs> I no. just totally had visions of like some some poor girl in like the 1980s. No. Like just, no, no. just, just stirruping it up in no, the no, dusty no. old basement. <laughs> it was the day when like you like were in practice by yourself and like I don't even know how they got a hold of you. Like they called your home phone. You didn't have cell phones and like pagers. Like I mean he was a physician in World War Two. Right, that's why I didn't think it was too far off. No, we can't. My aunt's office, and I was like, "Wow, we've come far as women. <laughs> we have real doctors' offices now." <laughs> yes, we do. We have real doctors' offices now. They're sterile. all sterile and white. <laughs> yes, that's 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 what they want everything to be sterile and white. So I used to play in his home office. Okay, in the basement. And, you know, he had this, like, wall of all the babies he delivered, like, and um, so I think that's sort of when that creative part of my brain sort of started and clicked, and he was just such an awesome guy. I guess I always wanted to, you know, be like him. He was such an inspiration, and everyone loved him. In fact, he played a large role in that, and then I just always kind of naturally liked the sciences and helping people, so I think that's kind of why it just always made sense. Yeah. Okay. So in Syracuse, you... Did you do pre-med or, but yeah, pre-med? And yeah. then did you go straight to med school? So you're looking at me because you know the answer <laughs> I to know that. the answer to that question. You did not go straight to med school. No, I was did not. Was that a purposeful choice? No. No, no that was the plan. Tell us about your MCATs and how you failed them. That was the story right there. <laughs> so the first time I took my MCAT... I remember, my friends in college probably remember, we were supposed to go on spring break, and, like, they planned this, like, Caribbean cruisy, who knows, mm-hmm. I don't even know, and they were like, are you going, and I was like, yeah, I am going, so I paid for it and everything, and, like, my MCAT was, like, a month after that, and so I was studying, like, crazy, so at this point, way back when, when I was in college, the MCAT was twice a year, and there was, like, a spring and a fall. And you kind of had to take it in the spring because then you wanted to apply. So almost, like, 90% of people took it in the spring. And I had that advisor really, his little pep talk really worked because <laughs> I had, like, straight A's. I was doing great. So I was like, I'm going to crush this MCAT like you've never seen. And I studied so hard, but I was starting to get very anxious. So before the MCAT, I was like, guys, I cannot go on this cruise. And they're like, well, no. I mean, we got, like, the outfits. We got the magic stuff. <laughs> We're <laughs> going to be at Girls Gone Wild. Yeah, I was like, no, no. Like, I have to take my MCAT. I have to be perfect. I have to go to med school. Like, you guys don't understand. And they were like, okay, so that's weird. Fine, whatever. So I remember I backed out of this cruise, and it was like this big deal. 
Anyways, when I got to the MCAT, you know, I was so panicked before. And I remember I got there. And this is like the one moment I've had a legit panic attack. I remember like you open the book. This is when I was like not on the computer. I was like in a book. And I just like couldn't see anything. I was panicking. I remember my heart rate was just so just going crazy and I was sweating and I had put so much time into this that like I just couldn't even focus I was just on adrenaline overdrive and I remember when I got the score back this was back when it came in like um 20s or 30s so you wanted a 30 okay that was this was the score you got so I remember I like you got the score like three months later and I kind of put my hands in front of the computer screen and I like moved one hand over and there was a zero and I was like, oh my gosh, I got a 30. I am incredible. And I moved my hand and I just stared at that computer screen for like a good solid five minutes with like no expression. So what I got a 20. Okay, so what is that? Is that like a that was bad. like a C or like a yeah, that's bad or like an F? You're talking bad. These are kind of like arbitrary numbers, and this was back in the early 2000s. So you really wanted a 30, and those numbers were pretty small increments. So like mm-hmm. a 35 was like way off the chart. Like you were okay. super smart. So, so the 20s, pretty 20s bad. bad, really bad. Okay, so you got a 20. A lot of people at that point would have been like, well, clearly med school's out, and they would go into pharmaceutical sales. Yeah, that's an option. Um, But you did not. Did you retake your MCAT, or did you... You know, you can take it. I've mentioned you can take it in this in the spring and in the fall. So the fall was actually kind of this, like, backup plan for people who, like, failed their MCAT. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that either. I just went through all that. That was, like, horrible. Something didn't work. So whatever I did didn't work. I need, like, more time to, like, figure my life out because I can't turn around and do that again. Like, something's off. And so that's kind of when I realized you need a little bit of balance. Like, I should have gone on my spring break trip, right? I missed all that for no good reason, mm-hmm. although it did teach me a life lesson that you should go on spring break or something. <laughs> you should go on a cruise on spring break. <laughs> Important life lesson from Dr. Heather Hirsch. <laughs> you should. Go on your spring break. You should. Well, like, now as an adult, you realize, like, if you don't take vacations, yeah. if you don't take breaks, like, you just left your two boys and your right. husband, right? Like, you have to do the those little breaks or else you eventually run out of steam so that's what happened to me when I was you know 19 I didn't know what was going on right yeah so I decided to go do my master's that's when we moved to Buffalo and I did a um, phenomenal program for two years at Roswell doing a lot of cancer and natural sciences and bench work and I kind of love bench work you like play these little pipettes and what is bench work Benchwork means like you're doing the actual research, like you're looking at little DNA fragments, and you're doing PCR, you're looking tiny little Test details that make science. Micro, micro whatever those stuff. things are called. Arrays, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I'm really far from that. Centrifuge. Yep, the, yep, the centrifuge. Just throwing out thing. any word I can you remember <laughs> from any of my science, science classes. <laughs> yeah. Microscopes and stuff. Microscopes an easy one. Don't well, don't underestimate I'm just, yourself. There may be other people out there where it's been far longer since they have had a science. <laughs> I class. doubt they're listening to this if they don't know what a microscope is. But so <laughs> I'm very far from what we call bench work. But it was great and I liked it. But I always really wanted to like work with people in a broader sense. And so I knew that my end goal was going to be to apply again to med school. But 
along the way, I kind of thought there is some aspect of just like your life will take you where it's going to go. So I kind of learned to just like dial down that like anxiety and absolute direct pointedness to exactly what I wanted to do. But then I did retake the MCAT and then I did fine. And so then I got into a bunch of med schools and then I decided to go back to Syracuse. And how was med school for you? That's a really broad question. So I, like, know. You, I know. I don't know. So when you were in med school, did you know that you wanted to do women's health? Or did you, because you do a lot of stuff in med school. Right. right? You study like everything. I, I've never gone to med school. So I'm kind of asking, kind of You've seen saying, Grey's Anatomy though. I watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> you went back to med school. Med school is a complete blur. In fact, actually, I was thinking in the plane a little bit about like my life journey as I was flying here and med school is a total blur all I remember about med school is I like to run a lot you ran so So much much. and so so much it was kind of like my outlet for just like getting out all the steam because it's true then all of a sudden you're with the smartest of the smartest and you know everyone's pretty competitive but nice at the same time but also there's beat you and be really smart be smarter than you and get into a better residency and that's not totally true it's kind of true not true kind of true so it was tough and it was some definitely some hard times just because it could be a little bit lonely at times it's just a lot of studying but it's also really fun and and it's also really rewarding when you get these little moments so I always knew I wanted to work with women as well and so you know I kind of thought that to, to work with women I'd have to go into OBGYN so I did a lot of extra OBGYN rotations and a lot of running. So actually my first marathon I ran when I was studying for my um, step one. And then what um, is your step one? Step one is, I don't even know what these steps are. I mean, all these licensing things. It's an exam. Yep. That all the med students take, you take a step one, step two, and a step three. So there are these big tests and everyone gets all worked up for them. Just kind of like the MCAT. It's like the same thing. It's like the same theme over and over again. But after that, after I ran my first marathon, I qualified for Boston and and my good friend and I do all of our long runs together. And it was like, that's what I remember from med school. That's what I remember the most of. Although we didn't run the Boston Marathon together. We ran it separately. So I ran like 26 miles with like these crazy runners like by myself. Which by the way, if you guys don't know about marathons, like the Boston Marathon isn't something you can just like sign up for. Like, oh no. I can... You have to qualify by running fast enough to do it. And yeah. the speed that you have to run is really, to do really it fast. Is really Really, really fast. There's no way that could ever yeah. happen again. Like maybe ever in my lifetime. And so, and that's okay. That was my prime. I, yeah. I peaked. My running prime was like a 22. No, okay. I was older than that. I don't even know. Yeah, I guess doing the math, that. I was like 26. <laughs> yeah. The age when I ran my only marathon and I did not qualify for Boston. I finished. That's that was the plan. Yeah. High five. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you finished med school. Mm-hmm. You started your residency in mm-hmm. OBGYN. Mm-hmm. And then you decided not to do OBGYN. You know, it was a combination of a lot of different things. But really, I found that looking back, again, most of these things are a blur because it's such, everything is just so fast paced. And, you know, you still are kind of learning your own self at the same time. So you're, you're learning so much. And you're learning who you are, that it's really, it's intense. I wasn't my best self in the middle of the night. I've never been my best self when I'm tired. 
not in the morning, not until the night. And, you know, I really, I didn't love being in surgery. My very best friends are still from my OBGYN residency. And I would go into work and they like were so excited to do all these surgeries and be up all night. And I was like, guys, I just can't wait to go home and go to sleep. (laughs) You know, and no, I mean, but I realized what I loved was just like seeing patients in the office or we have one rotation called MFM, which is maternal fetal medicine. And you just kind of sit and round with them and you go back around and talk to them every day. And they just kind of hang out there for a couple of weeks. And that was a rotation I loved the most. I loved like going to the clinic, whereas my colleagues, like they didn't love clinic. They would rather just like go and operate and do surgery. And they wanted to do, you know, and all this stuff. So it was kind of building up where I just wasn't becoming my best self anymore and so something had to change and so at that point I decided to sort of take a leap of faith and I switched into internal medicine I stayed at the same hospital because I started to know a lot of the internal medicine team and so that kind of just made the most sense to me when you switched were you starting from zero so yeah I had to be an intern twice yeah so how would that feel because like and I remember talking to you on the phone about this because it's like all of a sudden you go from being like a little bit more senior a little bit more senior and then you're with the same people and now you're knocked back down yeah yeah. (laughs) starting over which is like a very humbling thing and hard for a lot of people to do and you know you get to a certain point in your career to be able to say you know what this isn't the right route I'm gonna just drop it back and start over it's essentially like a medical in the medical field changing careers and starting back a few steps Mm -hmm. like how was that like mentally I think that when I made that switch was when I learned that it's okay to shift your perspective on who you think you are. So for many years, I was told everyone in the whole world I was going to be a doctor and then I was going to be an OBGYN and deliver babies. And then to like make that shift and start like telling your friends and telling your family, at first you start to feel like, did I fail or... Am I making the wrong decision or did, was I just not trying hard enough? Should I have had more Red Bulls? Like, what What should I have done? But then the more you kind of go through it and talk through it, you start to learn in your heart, like, that fit didn't fit you right. Even mm-hmm. though you thought so much that that was going to be your thing, it didn't fit right. Now, I didn't know that my life was going to come around sort of full, full circle, circle the way it did. But I just knew that, like, when I started that internal medicine residency and we would just round on the floor for, like, hours, I was like, oh, this is home. Like, I could have my coffee in my hand. <laughs> and I then I would just, like, go into patients' rooms and just start talking to them and meeting their families. And I loved that pace. I loved being able to, like, sit and think and organize and plan my thoughts. And so... I realized that just jived with my brain much more than when, like, there was 20 laboring people and all the board was flashing and, like, what room do you need to run into? And all my friends could thrive in that environment and they were doing so well. And I would just freeze. I'd be like, well, I need to finish this note. And they're like, well, there was a baby coming, so you might want to do that later. (laughs) You know, so... And I love delivering babies. And I probably did like 150 deliveries and 50, maybe more C-sections. I learned so much from that OBGYN year that, again, I didn't know it was going to come full circle. But just doing so many procedures and doing so many GYN exams, seeing deliveries, seeing C-sections, seeing lymph node dissections and stuff. That really actually came back around to really help me later in the future. So I, I also think that you 
whatever field or career that you're in, if you switch, there's this tendency to sort of think like, oh, I wasted that year. Like, especially in med school loans, we always think about like, that's a year of like, you know, salary I didn't have or et cetera. But again, by no means was that year, any of those years, even when I did my research years, like they all came around to really make up this special niche and the special kind of doctor that I am. And so it actually was really, I mean, it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Valuable time. Awesome. Okay. So you switched to internal medicine and then you got this amazing fellowship in women's health. Did you apply for this fellowship? Like what made that decision to go for this? and make that, you know, full circle switch back into the women's health field. So my colleagues all knew that I had been a GYN resident for a year. And so anytime they had a pregnant patient, they'd be like, Heather, oh my gosh, can I give her like, you know, colace? I was like, yes, it's okay. <laughs> and, or they'd be like, she's, she's itching down there. Can you, I just, can you, and I was like, guys, you mean she has a yeast infection? They're like, I don't want to talk about it. Can you just treat it? I was like, no, 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 you're a brilliant doctor. You're going to be like a world famous cardiologist. Like you can't say the word yeast infection. I was like, come on guys. And so actually I started doing a lot of like teaching for them about their women's health. And I was like astonished at how much they just didn't either want to deal with the GYN part or didn't know, or just kind of was like, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. Well, if you've got somebody who's got, like, people are coming all the time with chronic abdominal pain, and they're like, it could be adhesions, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, because they're so smart. And I'm like, well, it could be, like, a, it could be an ovarian torsion. They're like, I don't, I don't, we need a consult guy. So, anyways, it's, it, it's kind of, like, how it evolved as I sort of then kind of did a lot of the teaching for them. So, one night, I was, like, on call overnight, and I was thinking about fellowships. And actually, I was going to apply for an oncology fellowship because I thought I was going to do breast cancer. Because, hmm. you know, I'd gone to Roswell Park. I had done all this cancer research. And I was like, oh, duh, I'll do women's health. I'll do breast cancer. This is phenomenal. This is this is exactly what I was meant to do. But, you know, I did a breast rotation, and I would go see the patient. So then after this brilliant, lovely oncologist. She would leave and I was always like, how are you feeling? How are you sleeping? How's your sex life? <laughs> you know, <laughs> You're asking this to the oncologist? No, to the patient. <laughs> oh, I was so confused for a second. <laughs> no, to the patient. Because, okay. you know, I could see after the oncologist would leave, they would just kind of like break down and I was yeah. like, what's going on? You know, and they would start telling me about their flashes or their painful intercourse or just their worries or how they're not sleeping. And I I was like, wow, you know. So I remember I went home and I talked to my mom and I'm like, I, you know, I found out, you know, all this about all these people. She's like, well, Heather, it seems like you really don't like the oncology part then very much, huh? <laughs> and I was like, no, I do. She's like, well, you're so much more interested in the rest of their lives. Yeah. So anyways, one night I was like. Moms have a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my mom actually planted that seed that like, oh, maybe the oncology part of it is just one part of the female body and one part a woman, but like there's a whole other, there's a whole other human behind that breast cancer. Yeah. So. (laughs) Novel idea. I found this fellowship online, like at the Cleveland Clinic, like one night, probably like three. I'm probably like now. I'm this tired. I was seeing patients though. (laughs) These were just talking in a hotel room. And so, um, I was like, this fellowship seems, you know, I can learn a lot about 
you know, do more gynecology and learn about like this or just kind of apply these principles or education. Or at that point I was really, I was really interested in like educating internists about women's health. And I mean, just if I could teach them pap smears, I thought that was a win. And so that's how I got interested. And then I applied and I got into that fellowship. And so that's where I was headed next. So you mean to tell me like when doctors are trained, right, in residency, you're, when you go through med school, residency, all this stuff, you get like a little bit of everything. Why is it that nobody knows about the women's body? <laughs> like, what? I, I mean, you laugh, but it, it's insane to me. Like, why women have to go to two doctors and not just one? Like, your regular doctor can stick a finger up your husband's free run and check his <laughs> prostate or whatever it is that they do mm-hmm. up and down there. I don't see grab, that anymore. So. Grab the balls. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know. They do They deal with the man parts. They the do. dangly bits. Yeah. Like, yes. like, you can go to a regular internist and have everything head to toe seen the full picture. Yeah. But for some reason for women, that's not the case. Is that something yeah. that the women's health specialty field, is that something that is starting to change or that you're hoping to change. Yeah. So there's kind of two pieces to it. One is, for example, let's say the patient who is done with childbearing, um, if she's done with childbearing and she no longer, and she doesn't really need any complicated surgical procedures, Mm -hmm. there's really no reason that she kind of still needs to, now these are my personal opinions, there's kind of no reason that she needs to still see a gynecologist. In an ideal world, we would have more trained physicians who could perform pelvic exams and pap smears if that's what they need and be up to date on those guidelines. They don't... The they, poolless. Yeah. A lot of times, that's just they, it's just something they didn't learn in residency. It's and, insane to me. Yeah. I had a sinus infection when I was pregnant, and my internist would you call me not for everything. write me a prescription for anything because they're like, oh, you need to pregnant. check with your lady now. Doctor. I know. Like, we're not sure. That's yep. okay. Yep. And I'm like, what? Yes. You know, and I have a lot of young female patients who are not actively, you know, trying to get pregnant. And I'll always say, like, you know, I can do your pap smears. And they're like, you can? Can you prescribe birth control pills? Well, yeah. You know, so most, most internists can too. So there's really no need to see a separate doctor just to do your pap smear and talk to you about contraception. Unless if your doctor doesn't, if your internist doesn't I've feel comfortable. I've never had an internist that does a pap smear. Well, uh, yeah. So I mean, I guess I've never asked, but it yeah. just didn't seem to be on the table. It, like when it, I go for my physical, they're not like, hey, legs up. <laughs> you know? Some of them do. They even have stirrups. Some of them do. I mean... If you even really wanted my honest opinion, I really see very little use in, like, the old school annual exam. Go to your gynecologist every year. Like, we don't need to look in the vagina every year. Like, if you're a young, healthy female and you have no issues, we're not going to gauge a lot of information. By looking in the vagina, you don't need a pap smear every year. And that is, like, a huge... Oh, no, you don't need a pap smear every year. Just had one done. It's not feel good. No, you don't a need one A man made year. this speculum. That's all I have to say. Well, there's no other good way to There's got to be a better no, way. But there's, there's no funding no to make it better because men don't care that it hurts like 
the, okay, the bigger the bigger thing about this is that so many people are under the impression they need pap smears every year. In fact, I think I talked about Doesn't that in one like of my podcasts. Doesn't it detect cervical cancer? Does, but it's it's you know cervical cancer is caused by a virus, the HPV virus, and oh, it's a very know. slow exact growing. Oh everybody against HPV. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And um, you don't need to, you don't, we're over screening women based essentially by checking every single year. So gotcha. if we could go through those guidelines some yeah. other time, but it's complex why you have women in this country have two different doctors, especially for my non-childbearing menopausal women. There's, you know, a lot of them say to me, can I switch to you? Because every time I go to my gynecologist, I feel so out of place. There's all these pregnant women sitting there in the office, in the waiting room. And I'm yeah. 60 or I'm 70 now. Like, in, I don't, do I even need these smears anymore? Half the time they've had hysterectomies. I don't even need pap smears. I don't know why they're going to their, these doctors every year, but it's just so embedded in our society that that's what's going to keep you nice and healthy. What are your ideas on that? If we have more trained women's health physicians, either they've done a fellowship or maybe they've done a lot of special training during their residency who come out and are very comfortable with a lot of women's health issues such as birth control options, pap test screenings, mammogram screenings, they can do all that. So So why menopause? We're actually here in San Diego because you're going to some big menopause convention, which is... A movie that needs to be written for TV. Perhaps you can it. Just saying to the powers that be. But Wait, Jane what? Fonda's here? No, I'm just saying she would be perfect to star in a role oh. of a movie about the menopause. Nams. She, Nams. What is yeah. Nams? Nams is the it's North American Menopause Society. Like should be a Saturday Night Live skit. No way. So Nams is the North American Menopause Society. Okay. Actually, there's like probably hundreds of doctors here. It is is so. um, It's safer already. So yes, we're at the NAMS conference, and the reason I was so inspired to do menopause was when I did my fellowship training. My program director, her name is Dr. Holly Thacker. She's super inspiring and so innovative. She actually started the first women's health fellowship in the country, I believe, or one of the very first. And I was a fellow with her not that long ago. And she has this fantastic menopause clinic. And uh, all she spends her time doing clinically is, is menopause, perimenopause, osteoporosis, some mood issues, and some other things. But the big bulk is menopause. And I was just blown away. People would drive up from all different states. They would come from Texas. They would come from Florida. They would come from Chicago. They would come from New York. They would come from everywhere to see her because nobody was treating them. Nobody would treat their menopausal symptoms. Either there was fear of hormone therapy, there was confusion about hormone therapy, or they like didn't know if it was menopause. And she would treat them and they would come back as these just like brand new people and just say over and over again like wow I feel like myself I feel like myself and as an internist doing some internal medicine and also doing a lot of consultative menopause there is just it it is such a satisfying thing because so many women feel so much better and we're educating we're teaching them the latest science about the use of hormone therapy or non-hormonal methods or whatever it is that they're interested in. And as I've evolved into my own menopause practice, again, I really preach that this transition 
in your life is super important. And I think that if you're symptomatic or if you have questions or, you know, if health concerns arise during that time, it's really tied into menopause. And if you don't have a good doctor who can explain that for you, this is where you either, I think, head into a tailspin where you develop more chronic diseases and then you have sort of a setup for a pretty bad 50s, 60s, and, and, you know, grandparent life, or you really grab life by the horns at this point and you turn yourself around and get really healthy and set yourself up for many decades of health and happiness and success. It, it, it's just such a gratifying thing to help people through and they need the void of physicians and doctors who are, are really knowledgeable at this time is what was so alarming. Again, why they would come from like all over the country. Dr. Thacker had many fellows and we all kind of sometimes have different interests. Some people are really interested in osteoporosis. Some people are really interested in, in pelvic pain. Some people are interested in sleep. Some people are interested in menopause. For me, the menopause really just became my thing as well because I just, it was such a void in, in care. And I hear that echoed all the time. And that's actually part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast. I want to be able to reach someone in like a few states over who would otherwise never maybe meet me or listen or learn any of this stuff because I think so many people suffer needlessly and for long chunks of time in menopause. I have friends, you know, I live in Los Angeles where a lot of women are having babies much, much older, which mm-hmm. I think also is probably a fascinating thing for mm-hmm. you and women's health to see how that is impacting like menopause and stuff like that when women are still childbearing at the age when mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. starting to also go through menopause. And I have a I couple friends at, at my son's school who are, you know, they're like this, they will talk at pickup about like hot flashes and mm-hmm. their hormones and feeling like they're starting to go through premenopause and mm-hmm. just having no idea and turning to, you know, cause it's LA and we go to a super hippie school, mm-hmm. you know, very alternative therapies. But I think in part, because there is no doctor to go to. Yeah. And for me, I, I can imagine, you know, when I was pregnant and I've been pregnant for the last like five years I feel like mm. consecutively you have <laughs> I have literally been pregnant or breastfeeding for three of the past five years mm-hmm. and uh if not more mm-hmm. and I feel like during that time in my life when I'm pregnant or breastfeeding or pregnant again or breastfeeding or pregnant again still breastfeeding every time I have a medical complaint and I talk to my internist they immediately are like oh uh, I don't know. You've got to talk to your OBGYN because it it's maybe because of breastfeeding or pregnancy or everything gets written off as, oh, that must just be part of pregnancy or, oh, that must just be part of breastfeeding. And for me, those, those time periods have a finite end. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a woman who's going through menopause, all of a sudden they're being told, oh, that's just menopause or, oh, it's just, maybe it's just menopause, but there's no answer to that right I can imagine they're sitting there feeling like okay so this is just my life now like this is you're just telling me like oh it's lady problems like that's not okay you'd be amazed at the things that my patients tell the you know tell me obviously now I see the patients who suffer in menopause there's a percentage of women who don't they go through menopause and they do great but it's a smaller percentage but for the patients that suffer and a lot of them have been suffering for years like imagine and their doctors tell them I mean just to 
you know, is what it is. Well, they'll say like, well, there's nothing you can do. It sucks for me too. You mm-hmm. know, it'll end really soon. You can push through it because it, there's this societal feeling that you, if you treat it or you do anything again, like you're failing or you didn't do it right. Or like, you know, you had to like turn to modern medicine <laughs> when in fact, you know, my theory, I always tell my patients, I think that in the cave days, women died long before menopause. We died at childbirth. Yeah. You would have not made it through childbirth. I would not have no. made it through any of my You would not. You know, women died of childbirth and long before menopause, like long before their estrogen ran out, you know. It's not okay. So, you know, there's <laughs> there's so many, just wrapped up in what we even just said in the last, like, five minutes, there's so many things about menopause that actually shed light on how women really need someone to guide them through. And again, everyone's menopause is different. Everyone's symptoms and priorities are different. So not every menopause, no menopause is the same. As we get to that point in our lives, too, we'll sort of see it. But from my seat where I sit, you know, and I see and kind of guide people and navigate through people through menopause all the time, it's such a humongous aspect in, their, in women's lives. Yeah. So you just started this podcast, Health by Heather Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I ran them by I ran my names by you. You did. You did I did. And you were like, podcast. you were like simple. Just Call use your name. <laughs> I had like house call, and you were you like, had all sorts of. They weren't bad. Super creative things. But if people want to find Doctor Heather Hirsch, who is a menopause specialist, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Would you consider yourself a menopause specialist? I, I, yep, I do. You should. I do. You're at the menopause conference. I know. With Jane Fonda. And we talked about it a little bit. You started this podcast because you want to be able to help reach these women who don't have a Dr. Heather Hirsch in their town that they can go to for help. You also started this podcast on your maternity leave. Yeah. With your second child. I know making the rest of us look bad for just surviving during our maternity leaves. Why did you start it during your your maternity leave? Why was that important to you? Well, a couple things. One, I had this idea for a really long time, and actually you helped Mm -hmm. it. I know. I know. So I awesome. have to pat you on the back. <laughs> yeah. So remember, I said I want to do like some kind of like blog thing. And you were like, Heather, please do not do a blog. Like you can't spell, and I can't spell. I mean, it's bad. It's not necessarily the spelling, the it, spell check for the that. Grammar. You have a real affinity for run-on sentences. I do. Okay, let's not get into my weaknesses. So okay, no, but this is true. Again, you were like, you know, it's going to be really a lot easier to do a podcast, and I, I was like, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. It was like when I was thinking about switching residencies, like I'd be forcing a blog, but a podcast is really easy because I just love to talk. It's fun to do. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it wasn't all about the poor writing skills. It's more so that your strength mm-hmm. is, and how you ended up where you are now is because your strength is and always has been in your people skills and in like connecting with people. And it's hard to connect on a piece of paper. It's much easier to connect. Because you have a tendency to uh, text me. Uh, medical I questions. I do like to text you medical questions. Yeah. It's my fave. And when I say tendency, I usually mean like at least it's like... four times a day. Yeah. But you were like, you sent to me, you said, I feel like when you when you text me back, like it's helpful, but when I, if it's bad and you call me and I hear your voice, it's so much more reassuring than mm-hmm. when you just, it just clicks. And that yeah. actually is what made sense to me from like your, not only your friend, but just kind of like what, what works for people. I thought like that makes a lot of sense. 
So, you know, I don't have any time. So maternity leave, I don't have like clinical responsibilities, although I have like mom responsibilities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I also suffer from some pretty severe OCD. And my OCD makes me a great doctor, but a really (laughs) bad wife. And so if I wasn't doing something, I would be like, probably excessively cleaning my house on maternity Mm. leave, which is just useless waste of energy. So actually to to channel my extra energy that I had while I was home and like those anxieties that I had probably postpartum, this was a healthy way for me to channel that. And so it kind of served like several purposes. It was a little bit of, I had this time and I needed to channel that, that like excess sort of that anxiety, that energy out. And so I just put my little baby in his little sling and I would talk. And if he squeaked and cried, I'd pause it. And, you know, it's just, I've, I've done a couple now and it's just kind of evolved. And that's why I did on maternity leave, I guess. So is there anything else you want to share? Oh, we have to tell them about the story. Oh, yeah, the, the story. Well, we have to oh, go yes. to summer school. No, you're like on the way to school. I just remembered when you ran into the deer. <laughs> when I what? <laughs> when you ran into the, the deer. deer. <laughs> and then your dad was like, did you hit something? And you were like, like no. no. <laughs> He's like, there's fur in the, <laughs> in the windshield wiper. <laughs> That's an even better story. That's an awesome story. No, I didn't hit anything for like five minutes. You helped to that story. And he's like, have it. There's fur. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, good time. My other good friend Liz, she, I, the same story happened to us. We would walk to med school together, and one day she was like, That's it! Like, you suck! I'm not walking with you anymore! We didn't talk for like a month, too. Like, this has happened to me many times. So, I love it. yeah, you just have to embrace your flaws. Like, one of them is that I'm not a morning person, I just never will be. So, forcing myself to be a morning person is just not gonna work. So I have to move my clinics a little bit later, and I end up staying a little bit later, but that's the only way it works. Like, Yeah. I don't know. You got anything else you want to ask I me? do. You know everything about me. So, I know. I do you everything do. about me. Yeah, I have one question. So every time I interview somebody, I have the person that I interview choose a question for or give me a question for the next person I interview. So the last oh. person I interviewed was a good friend of mine, Carla, who's a doula. And her question for you, and she didn't know it was going to be you. Her question is, what was the last thing you tried and failed at? Um, I'm sure I failed at a lot of things. <laughs> I have like, it's, it's, it's not really an exciting thing. But this is literally the last thing I, I wouldn't say I failed. I had to write this commentary. And, and in this commentary, I was writing about this medication. I was actually writing about BRCA patients. Those are patients who have a mutation causing a higher risk for breast cancer. And um, I wrote about this medication that you can use after you've had risk reduction surgery, which is when you take out your ovaries. Okay. Like Angelina Jolie did? Yes. So in this commentary, I I wrote this when I was like 38 weeks pregnant and handed it in. And then I couldn't hear back from them. They said they were going to publish it later. But in this commentary, I, I said I had made this mistake. I said that, you know, you can use this medication even though women don't have an intact uterus. Well, they typically do. In fact, they keep their uterus. They usually take their ovaries out. And so it kind of went and got published. But, you know, they, they figured it out and we rechanged it. But I felt really embarrassed. And, you know, I was like, man, I really, I knew that. I don't know how that even got missed or, you know, whatever. But 
it, it kind of just goes to, to remind me, to, to humble me that, you know, as much as you want to do and as much as you want to accomplish, you know, every now and then you might say the wrong thing or trip up on your words. Just get a little confused because you're tired and you're breastfeeding or you're pregnant or you're taking care of your parents or whatever it is. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily failed. Although I did feel like a failure for a good 24 hours. I usually have this 24-hour rule. After that, I have to move on. But, you know, it stuck with me because I just said I was a menopause expert and I made this like mistake kind of learn that we're all humans and like those things happen um okay well then that's so, it it's a wrap where can people find your podcast so my podcast is Health by Heather Harsh it's on iTunes it's on SoundCloud it's on Stitcher it's on Google Play and you can also check out my website which is heatherhirschmd.com and you're doing one while you're here, right? In San Diego? Yeah. I'm going to do some fun stuff on bones and osteoporosis and all that. So Bones? I know. Oh, like bones? skeletons? Bones. That's what you think. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks for letting me crash on your bed in your hotel room. Anytime, my friend.